one of the blessings and one of the challenges uh, to being a pastor is walking with people through very challenging circumstances. Um, it's incredibly uh, touching to be a part of meaningful moments in people's lives, but it also means being around people in the midst of situations that they, they just don't see a way out of, things that seem hopeless, things that seem like, uh, I guess I'm just resigned to this. I just have to live with this. Uh, and uh, for the sake of not getting too concrete of examples where you start guessing who I might be talking about, uh, I'll, I'll go broader to mention we're often dealing with like societal issues of what is it not to have enough money? Like what is it to not have enough um, cheap, affordable housing for people to be able to support themselves and to, to make a living? What is it for uh, jobs to move away and for people to not be able to find work? What is it, um, you know, to experience violence in your neighborhood? Uh, we often face some incredibly difficult struggles as a community. Uh, and, and we're all dealing with our own internal struggles of we never feel like we have enough time. You know, you, you always have, if you had an extra hour in the day, you would just have it already used up. Uh, we're just struggling to figure out how to survive together. And we all have different stories of what that thing is that we're trying to survive through. Uh, but I think there's something incredibly meaningful in this text that we read from Isaiah and in the gospel text that will speak into life um, some hope, I think, for us. So to really understand what's going on in Isaiah, we have to know the background. And um, the nation of Judah had been exiled. They had lost in battle to Babylon. They had been ripped from home and scattered throughout uh, the region. And so not only had they lost their religious life in the temple as it was destroyed, not only had they lost their community because now they're scattered and they're trying to make sense of it living amongst other people, um, and they can't imagine what is it to, to regain any of that, what is it to have um, that kind of important faith community restored. And so, by the time we get to this text, Babylon has actually fallen to Persia, and so there's a little bit of renewed hope of, well, maybe something might happen. Maybe, maybe with this changing of power, my situation might change. And so we're not quite yet to when they get to go home and get to be uh, gathered, but this text is imagining that, that kind of moment of what is it to be gathered from exile back home. Um, so that's the kind of situation they're in. And in the midst of it, it would be hard to just take at face value the comfort of these words. Take, you know, the comfort of, I'm going to restore you and all of this, this language. So in that context, Isaiah 43 starts, But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, and you are mine. And I, I appreciate this interesting blending of, of two images. It uses like creation language, you know, who has created you, has formed you, but it's not about like all humanity in that kind of universal scope but like the people of Israel. So even, even they as a community have been created and formed and sculpted. It's, not, uh, it's taking that creation imagery in, into their own community. And can you imagine 
when life is fear and when life feels like hopelessness, the little message, do not fear, is actually probably the most challenging part of this text uh, for just someone to live out uh, when you're in the midst of that struggle and that pain. Do not fear. And the tension is, how can I imagine that God formed me, had started something in me, yet when I look around, things look awful. Like, my hope and my my trust is in God completing something, yet when I look at my everyday life, it looks like it's in shambles. So how do I keep having faith when life is in shambles right now? And so I don't know what stories you might be bringing with you today. You know, what kind of thing you thought was started with such godly uh, direction and clarity and wisdom and vision, and yet it fell apart. Maybe that was um, the excitement you had that you got a job offer at one point, and it was the thing that you felt like you were made to do. You were so excited to live out this calling, and then you get into it. Maybe you have an, uh, an awful supervisor. Maybe the work they give you isn't as fulfilling as you had hoped. Uh, maybe there's downsizing and the, that job is just quickly gone. And then suddenly you're like, wait, I thought I was made for this. But what happened? You know, and how do I continue to have hope that, that what I felt like I was made to do, that, that there's still a hope for that, there's still a future for it. Maybe you've had relationships. You're like, you know, I know God led me to this person. Um, you know, depending on your stage of life, maybe that's a boyfriend or girlfriend, maybe that's a spouse. Uh, you could put that into different kind of friendships and family situations. But you're like, you know, I know God brought this person into my life. Next thing you know, you find yourself being mistreated, neglected, abandoned. And how do you then have faith? How do you not fear? Because you had just trusted that God was moving in a certain way, and now it's not that way anymore. And so that's a, that's a burdensome space to be in. And that's where Israel is as a whole community. We believe that God formed us, yet we are in pieces. Can there be hope, and what do we do? How do we get through this? And so I really appreciate that Isaiah's message is not just to ignore pain, that it doesn't matter, or act like... Uh, there's a, just a, an easy escape where pain is just, you know, neglected. But Isaiah offers us a path through pain, which I think runs counter to what we want in life. We, don't, we usually want to run from the pain, but Isaiah is pushing us through the pain. Here's what he says. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. He doesn't say, if you pass through waters, the floodwaters come. He doesn't say, if you pass through fire, but when you pass through those waters, and when you pass through that fire, it won't consume you. And I appreciate that the Christian journey is not that kind of escapism of just this cushy life of everything's just going to be perfect. But it's a calling that when you go through the pains, there's a different way of going through that pain on this journey. And so my heart hurts for people, um, both from experience and just knowing that how people um, 
go through this world, that some people have been told that if you have enough faith, everything's going to work out perfectly fine. You'll never get that cancer diagnosis. You'll never lose that job. You'll, you'll always get that promotion. And then that person has to face the cancer diagnosis, the job being laid off. The, uh, you know, they experience pain, and then they start having to question themselves of, did I just not have enough faith? Am I just a lousy you know, Christian? And they're worried about being ostracized by the community of, oh, they're going to look down on me because my life circumstances are bad right now. So then they start shrinking back from community life because they don't want to have to face what's going on in their life and see what other people have to say or think about it. My heart hurts for those people who um, maybe they had uh, mental health uh, challenges, have medicine, and someone said, no, if you have faith that God healed you, God healed you, stop taking your medicine. And then the resulting pains and problems and struggles that happen in the aftermath of that. Um, There's a dangerous kind of theology that wants us just to act like pain isn't going to happen, that if we're just strong enough, we'll avoid the fire and we'll avoid the water. Um, But there's something powerful about being called through the water and through the fire uh, that, that that journey won't consume you. Now, Isaiah has an original historical context to why he gives this message in the way he does. So I want to preface that there's a really, really ugly reason why he tells people that they're not going to be consumed. And there's a really, really beautiful one. Let's do the ugly one up front. Why won't you be consumed? Why won't you be overcome? Oh, uh, here's a tough one. Isaiah 43, verse 3. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you. The basic answer here is, okay, we've got this new Persian king, um, and instead of us being enslaved, God, let's give all those African kingdoms over to, to Persia. Will that appease you? Can you just let us go while others get enslaved? And that's a really tough thing. Like, I just want to call that out that that's a very challenging part of this text. Because too often, people have pointed at a group and said, well, at least maybe they can take the suffering, and if I can get ahead, that's okay. Um, And so there's something really tough in that historical setting. And I think that the people of faith in their experiences with God uh, are continually being shaped and formed. And at this stage, it was a little bit more tribal. And you can get that way when you've experienced persecution and pain and suffering, and, you, and you're just looking for a way out of suffering. Um, they're not coming from a dominant, powerful position of, we've got everything perfect and let's just make other people suffer. They're a suffering group trying to survive. As the Christian tradition develops, this somewhat shifts in a way that many Christians find very helpful and meaningful. And that's instead of this other group and we're rivals experiencing that, that enslavement, uh, how would it be for me to imagine Jesus taking on that pain and that, that struggle? And so that all of humanity is united and not tribal, 
and being in that same experience of, of seeing Jesus as taking on the burden that we couldn't bear. Um, and so many Christians have found comfort in that shift uh, of someone else taking on that burden for us. And now I said there was a, a struggling, more challenging reason. That's definitely the, the more challenging one. Um, I, I've ransomed you by exchanging these other nations. But there's actually something really beautiful that goes hand in hand with this. It goes on to say that because you are, pre- this is supposed to be God speaking, because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. Now, it would not have been a usual conception of the divine in that ancient world to think that God would actually personally love uh, you individually or you as a community. Often you were the pawn that needed to do the labor and the work of this God and appease them, and you needed to con- do all of your rituals to make the God happy, but, but God doesn't care about you in many of these religions. Uh, you're living in fear of God, and here is a God that says, I love you. And uh, strangely, this is the only time that we get in God's speech the exact kind of phrasing of, I love you. So in the midst of some of the messiness of this passage is also something very beautiful. We often talk, God so loved the world, but we don't get you know, the direct speech saying I love you. And so that love means something in the text. God says that because God loves you and you are precious in his sight, God will be present, will be with you. And God will gather the community back together and bring the pieces back together. Uh, I was kind of laughing because uh, yesterday Sue sent me a Facebook post which was actually like related to an image that I was already imagining, but I thought, well, uh, divine coincidence, let's go ahead and talk about it. Um, but the, so in popular culture, uh, there's a lot of superhero movies out in the world, uh, and one of them that just came out recently, uh, which is not a spoiler because it's in the trailer for the next movie, um, ends with the villain killing half of the universe. And famously, the, the graphics of this in the story is that the people kind of turn into dust and just fade away into dust. And if you can imagine 10 years of watching your favorite characters on screen and you're like, oh no, that's my favorite Oh, they're gone. Uh, and it's a really like incredibly morbid uh, ending to what's comics and should feel more lighthearted usually in, in the way you would imagine it. Um, but I think the, the post who sent me uh, had a thing about uh, one of the most challenging puzzle pieces or something like puzzles to put together, and it just looked like it was a bag of sand or dust and it said Avengers on it. Um, but there's a really, really cool trailer graphic that I think is actually a powerful image that uh, speaks into this. In the midst of decimation, and you're like, how do I put the pieces back together when everyone's in dust? Uh, they bring out the trailer for the next movie, and it's the Avengers logo, and it's not all fully assembled, and it's not fully together, and the little pieces of dust are reforming to make the name Avengers again. And all those little pieces that got pulled apart and taken apart are reforming into something. And that's a beautiful image, because I think Israel itself would be wondering how on earth do we regain our community? Like, people are living in Europe, people are living in Africa, people are living, uh, you know, far east in the Middle East. 
what on earth would it be for our community to be reformed? How could that even happen? And yet, God is still forming. God is still reshaping. And I think that the image of baptism is a very powerful image uh, where that is played out. Um, So that's my trailer picture, is baptism. And so this is actually baptism of the Lord Sunday. Uh, It's a day that we celebrate Jesus' baptism. And I like that this Isaiah text was with the Luke text on baptism. John the Baptist starts out by mentioning two images. You know, I baptize with water, but one who is coming later baptizes with fire. So we get our water and our fire imagery back. And there could be a, a way of looking at John's message only in that kind of destructive, judgmental way of he's like, you know, Jesus is coming with that, that winnowing fork and it separates out the chaff and the wheat and some of you are going to be stored away and some are going to get burned up. And that sounds pretty pessimistic if you just want to linger on the burning. But baptism is a beautiful image because it's an image of you can't do this on your own. You need other people. Uh, there's kind of a comical part of the Reformation era in which some people who thought um, that, that baptism was most correctly done by baptizing people who are of age to be able to make that decision for themselves. But the problem was they had all grown up in communities where they were baptized as babies. And so they're like, well, who is the first one to baptize the adult? And so they had to decide, do I baptize myself? Does someone who's not yet baptized baptize the other person to get it started? Um, it was a little bit of a comical theological dilemma for that initial group. Um, but baptism is a communal act. Someone is baptizing you, and you are being raised into a community. And that's a hope that there's a community for you, that you're not alone in this, you're not overwhelmed by yourself, but you have a community to support you. It points out that we are often in grave situations. We are, we are dipped down into the pains of the world, uh, what looks like death, but also the weird, amazing hope that you are also able to be restored, that you are able to be renewed, that life could still happen, even in the midst of what looks like death. And so, whether it's John and talking about the water baptism, or his imagination of Jesus' baptism by fire, we are not overcome by the water or the fire. Somehow, God puts the pieces of our lives back together, even when they get scattered about. And so, I want to mention that I hope that we as a community passionately care about this process, that we care about people not being overwhelmed, people being uh, led through pain into new life, and that we all need to experience baptism because, like, the person that hasn't done it, that's a meaningful, powerful thing to be a part of. But we as a community need to be reminded of that powerful symbol. And there's a beauty to experiencing it even as just the community watching. And so I hope that we are a a community that wants people to, to be able to move through pain, to not be overcome. And I do want to note 
that if you're facing whatever kind of floodwaters or whatever kind of fire that, that might be going on in life, I don't want you to think that you shouldn't do anything about it. That like you should just idly just sit in the flames or just sit in the water and, then, and that that's just your, your state. I love the beauty of the image of this text that God is, is bringing you through the waters. You're not just supposed to stay in there. That isn't God's intention for us. And Isaiah wasn't just talking to an individual. Isaiah was talking to a community moving through that pain towards peace, towards life, towards a new future. So uh, listen to Isaiah's hope for that, that sacred remnant of Israel. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God has formed and is continuing to form a community of faithful people who live out that hope. You are not called to sit in those waters or in that fire forever, but to take God's hand as God guides you through the dangers of this world and brings you and others back from the ends of the earth, back from the ends of despair, and reassembles us with loving care. May God guide each of us every day and today. Would you pray with me? Lord, you know the troubles that we face. You know the struggles that we're, we're wrestling with. And Lord, I just ask that you would help people to imagine you know, a hand reaching out in the, in the midst of the pain and the struggle that we could, we could hold on to, that we could, we could walk with, and that your presence, your peace, your guidance would be made real for those who are struggling. Lord, I thank you that you not only initially formed us, but continue to form us into something even greater and something new, into more life, into more in your image. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen.